Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. Today, Fred and I want to have a bit of a chat about the change across generations in the way in which sport is viewed. Now, this was inspired for me because I was thinking about the fact that the NBA's ratings are, like, falling over the last few years. They're just a bit less popular. And I was kind of thinking, like, why is that? You know, the NBA is just as exciting as ever. I really love my basketball. Um, and I was wanting to think a bit about what's what's gone on here. And one of the things that jumped out to me is the fact that, well, there's just more sources of entertainment for young people to consume nowadays, especially be it video games. And so I was kind of thinking, well, with these other entertainment sources being really viable and, and accessible now... How has that changed our culture towards sport? And what are the consequences, both good and bad, for that change? Now, I really want to pick Fred's brains here because obviously he grew up in a very different time for me when sport was considered differently. So, Fred, do you want to, do you want to say hi and tell us a bit about what sport meant to you when you were growing up? Hello, listeners. I find this topic fascinating, Matt, because this week I've seen reports about how eyesight in younger kids is being damaged because they don't get outside. Mm. Um, and... Uh, at the same token, we've had memorial services for famous cricketers in this country that passed away, uh, and the outpouring of grief around Shane Warne and, and others has been really quite an eye-opener for me because I'm not a cricket fan at the best of times, but I think it brings into to stark relief the role that sport plays generationally. So when you ask what sport means to me, it was a form of torture. It was a mandatory <laughs> form of torture, Matt. Nobody that knows me would think about the words athlete and Fred in the same sentence unless they were being very sarcastic. <laughs> With that said, I had to play a sport and an mm. organised sport from the first year of primary school all the way through to high school. There was no option. Mm. Had to be done. There was no way around it. And I don't mean just PE classes. I mean a team sport. Mm. I never enjoyed it, but I must admit, not long ago, I, I thought about looking at a veterans league for football, as in soccer, mm. just because I, I, I sort of miss the camaraderie of a team sport. Yeah, um, I get a bit of that out of work, but it's not quite the same. You like the idea of going around, having a kick around in a game that doesn't really matter, although it matters more to some than others. Mm. And I look at my uh, daughter, who's uh, seven, and team sports aren't mandatory for them. Mm. At, at the same age, we had to play a team sport. It was a requirement of school. Right. And you talk about the NBA and ratings. It's interesting because I think that we live in a world now where there are so many competing priorities to sport, yet our professional sports people have never been paid as much as they have been before. Yeah. yeah. So what message are we giving the world around sport? And I just think it's a fascinating topic. Tell me, I would be correct, I think, in saying that you live a very athletic lifestyle and you love your sport. Mm, yeah, so I do personally, which is something that I've gotten so much value out of, particularly basketball I play. But when I grew up, I was uh, lucky enough to enjoy a variety of different sports. Um, and I think my parents did a good job of giving me the kind of children, the choice for children, which isn't play sport or don't play sport, but it was which sport do you want to play? Yeah. And so I was given a, a couple of different footy, soccer, basketball, and I ended up falling into basketball in the end. Um, their, their level of compulsory sport for me was always this... Uh, school-mandated uh, team sport that had to be done from middle school onwards. Um, but there was never this like social pressure to play, play sport. I really play sport because I want to play sport. Perhaps there is an element of this like a, a masculine identity, particularly in school, that can be tied up in sport. I definitely think that I don't want to undersell that. But I think that nowadays you're no longer... 
uh, ostracized or, or isolated if you don't participate in the main sport. If you don't play um, tennis in summer and footy in winter or whatever, you can still be a part of the social scene and social community at school. My parents who grew up in the country talk a bit about the fact that you kind of had to be involved in sport, like in a social sense, not compulsorily because of school, but because of that was the done thing. And if you didn't do it, you weren't in the social group. Was that something that you would have experienced as well, Fred? Look, no, but I will say that to your point, within a school context, the captain of the football team was held in really high regard. The vice captain of the school was the captain of the cricket team and the head prefect who wasn't the captain or the vice captain was the head of the the rugby union team or was school. So you can see those three points. The The captain of the soccer team... Uh, which was uh, had a better win rate than those other three, uh, wasn't even sort of uh, wasn't on the podium, so to speak. And one of the guys I went to school with was a phenomenal tennis player and another guy was a phenomenal swimmer. Mm. They probably had better personal success than any of the individuals that I've named but didn't rate a mention. So it wasn't just that you had to be in sport to be uh, recognised. You had to be in certain sports to be recognised. I definitely want to capture that cultural change because I don't think that that exists in the same way from my schooling experience. And I think that's really interesting and in many ways a really good uh, development in the way in which young people grow up now because I definitely think there is some prestige associated with it there's no doubt and there's also these interesting hangovers from that kind of time um, I, I very distinctly remember that one of the, the better sports people in my year level um, made 100 runs in one of their uh, school sporting uh, mm-hmm. cricket games and they got their name engraved on the school cricket bat that is held in like reception or something and it lists wow. the name of everyone one that's gotten 100 runs or something and that kind of baffled me because that definitely only exists for cricket and it's definitely something that is this holdover from private school you know cricketing back in the back in the old days before it was a co-ed school when it was all boys all that kind of thing and um I found that to be it really stuck with me because I was kind of like, damn, I'm never going to get my name on a cricket bat. How disappointing. And, you know, obviously it's not, not a big deal in the slightest, but that is this this interesting uh, latent prestige that it seems Absolutely. as if these things continue yeah. to have. But I don't think it is nearly as overt as that kind of uh, what you've just described there to me. So I think it's a really interesting change in the, the way we culturally grapple with the importance of sport in the modern world for young people growing up. I think like the, the material consequences of that then uh, stem from the fact there are so many other things that we can now do with our time, such as playing video games or being like more into reading or creativity or art or whatever it might be. There's an important gendered element here that I think that we're probably not going to engage with absolutely head on, but there's definitely a, a big role in which like sport culturally traditionally historically has been very masculine and other kinds of activities or hobbies might have been more feminine and i think we're blurring those lines as young people continue to grow up and i think that those blurred lines are part of what makes uh, it more culturally acceptable to do other kinds of activities beyond just uh, physical competitive sport which is a great thing for people who that doesn't suit so well. It sounds as if it didn't suit you so well necessarily. For it. It's interesting that you talk about that because there's certainly a shift in gender representation in sports. So if I take what I'm hearing you say is that it's expected there's a bit of an archetype that 
guys play sports and certain sports mm, mm. Um, and girls might have been relegated to netball and tennis mm. and other things. Mm. Whereas now the Australian Rugby League's just put a lot of money into making sure there was a full season and an expansion of the women's game. Mm. And when I was a kid, it would be unheard of for a girl to play rugby league. Mm. And I'm not suggesting that's right or wrong. I think the question that comes around sport in general and we won't speak to the gender bias because clearly we've never had the opportunity to to sort of be women in a women's sport environment Mm. the ultimate issue that we have with sport is is it still culturally as relevant to us as it was when i was a kid or you were a kid and and i i grew up with some of those names that are in the zeitgeist, like the Dennis Lillys and stuff, knocking around in popular culture. Mm. But I've got a question for you, Matt. Do we think that sports lost some of its esteem? Because in the modern world of modern media and and the news cycles, we've started to learn, we've learned more about our sports people and how they might be physically good at something, but perfectly imperfect as people. Oh, I love this question, Fred, because I have I have quite strong opinions about the way in which, particularly in Australia, we valorise sports people as icons of morality. I definitely understand that. And I think, you know, in Australia in particular, we have had like a, a real connection to sport as an important uh, an important compass like that. But, you know, the ball tampering scandal in, in the cricket uh, a couple oh, of years yes. ago, that yep. was an absolute chaos because people were, were, were so torn up about the fact that their sports people were, might not be paragons of morality. And I fully accept that because I think we do put these very high expectations on our sports people to be exceptional athletes and exceptional people. And that's important. There's a place for it. But... I don't think that there is necessarily that correlation between being good at sport and being a good moral agent. And uh, the fact that as a society you've decided that there maybe should be is this interesting conflict that is, I'm sure, quite difficult for sports people as well. You know, the demands of, of, of being an absolutely elite sports person is probably bloody insane. And so also demanding they be absolutely upstanding citizens and have every one of their actions monitored. I uh, can't help but add to that, I suspect. Um but I also wonder if, to some extent, this this is the the further consequence of uh, the prevalence of media more generally, which is the fact that people who are high profile have probably often been able to get away with a lot more really twisted shit, and now it's just more likely to come to light. And so, uh, because access to money, access to fame, access to wealth, or whatever, might facilitate some more questionable behaviours, I think that uh, this is something that maybe is coming more to light now with uh, the way the media follows these people. There's something you touched on there that I find fascinating, and that we put sports people up on a pedestal as examples of morality, ethics, etc., Whereas we know that for a lot of people, um, and and globally this is true, that the the genuine world game is the game of uh, football, Mm. which we would call soccer, and the majority of players in that space are people that have been gifted with athletic ability and used it as a way out of a situation. Yeah, yeah. You see that all in the NBA as well. Absolutely. So we're not talking about people, and and I'm sure there are different sports where this isn't necessarily the case, but some of the most uh, renowned uh, soccer players in the world have completely humble beginnings, uh, rough and tumble upbringings, and their their abilities got them out of poverty. Mm -hmm. But somehow there's a contract that says, You've got to suspend who you were. If you're a rough and tumble mm. kid that got out of poverty, yeah. 
um, you've got to become some paragon of virtue if you want to hold this rather than just rely on skill and ability. I've never, ever believed um, that we should revere sports people. And it's a great quote. I, I remember once uh, somebody saying to a uh, heavyweight boxer, arguably one of the best that ever uh, graced the sport, Mike Tyson, if he was an example for people. And he said, yeah, I'm an example for every angry young kid mm. that you can channel that anger and they're like but you've done all these horrible things you've been accused of oh, sexual yeah. assault you bit a guy's ear off and he's like well i'm still an angry person whereas today when they said to conor mcgregor who's arguably one of the best ufc fighters in his weight class are you a celebrity should people look up to you he said no i'm a guy that punches people in the head i break faces for a living mm -hmm. you know he's not pretending to be something that he's not and and he's worth more money than god mm. so there's this argument about did we play sport because we wanted to be like people we saw? Was it aspirational? Mm. And now that we know more and more about sports people, is there less an inclination to be aspirational? Um, or is it just the fact that sport is important as it is in life? And it is psychologically really important, Matt. It teaches your discipline. It teaches mm. your teamwork. It teaches your re resilience. It teaches you how to lose. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And it teaches you how to win. And it teaches you a link between what you do well and how you can feel personally satisfied even in a loss or a win. And it's important for kids. I'm a big advocate for sport. I'm not a sports person, but I always played it. Um, and I would say to you, the best part about sport is a team sport where there's camaraderie. Yeah. You don't have to be good. And some of the most cherished memories I have from as a kid are people congratulating me on something I did well on the sports field, knowing that I was a pretty rank and file kind of right, feeling. Right, yeah. I was a filler player. I was just there for the numbers and the oranges. Mm. I, my dad had a fruit shop. We supplied them for cheap. So, But I do think that if we abandon sport, we're actually taking away from kids some of those lessons. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think, uh, as much as esports a thing now, I don't think it has the same level of dedication required to get out, get in the sun, or play in the rain and do it tough and and lose and win and and do it in the real world context. What do you reckon, the next generation? If you were if you were postulating or projecting what sport looked like for people in fifty years, what do you reckon? Do you reckon it's going to be less important than today? Just as important? More important? Does it? Does it cease to exist? Mm. Yeah, no, I see sport becoming perhaps less culturally like central, um, but perhaps still with a, a real place because there's no way that uh, like people, famous sports people aren't important. You know, they're still people's heroes, even as we learn more about them. They're absolutely people that are looked up to, make tons of money, are very quote unquote successful, and also just like have a real following and a lot of support. So I definitely see it holding a an important place, but I think there are now alternatives that seem as if they've they've stepped in to entertain people, to keep people engaged. Um, I think that it is a problem only so far as it's a good thing to get out and be physical. So I think there's there's plenty of uh, of room for indoor activities, especially for people for whom this doesn't quite suit. But I still think that there's a place to do some kind of physical activity for young people. Look, I have a colleague, a friend, who when we were kids, he used to love running. Right. And he's the same age as me, and he still runs every day. And I have to tell you, I know genuine envy 
when I think about him and his love for running mm. because all of my issues at the age of 48 that I deal with with you know excessive weight and a lack of the right sort of activity would all be resolved if when I was the same age as him as a kid, I had loved running. Mm, mm. And I envy his genuine, you know, some people run and they look like they're leaving a burning building. Yeah, yeah. And then some people run like they were born to do it. Like everything just looks like it's designed to do that thing. Right. He's the latter. He's the guy that when he runs, it looks like he's gliding. It's mm. effortless. He mm. doesn't look like it is any effort at all. Mm. And if I could have embraced, and I'm sure there are people out there that will say, oh, particularly our exercise physiologists that we both collectively work with, could say, I could teach you that. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. No, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's like there are some people that you put a tennis racket in their hand and they float like a gazelle. Yeah. And there are some people like yourself that you give them a basketball and it looks like they were born to have it fit into their palm of their hand. Um, or, you know, in the sport that I excelled in, best short goal defence in the mixed netball game, <laughs> I rocked that skirt, I enjoyed the sport, but never enough to just do it because I loved it. And there is a difference with uh, doing something that you love, which I suspect is why you do what you do, mm, yeah. versus those people that never get a love for it and it sort of drops away. And I think it's important that we still have young people who uh, at least get pushed into participating it just a little bit because yep. I never would have realised that I love basketball if I hadn't played it for five years before when I was young and I met people that I enjoyed. It was in a team that I liked that fostered me and helped me learn how to play. And now I'm here and I'm playing four times a week because I yep. can't get enough of it. And I yep. think that that's a really important bit of development that is very difficult for young people to have because I think uh, there's something to be said I think for doing sport when you're young and setting a foundation for your physicality and for your enjoyment as well um, because it can be so much easier to do that kind of work on yourself when you're young and your body's still growing and all that kind of thing but yeah. it can be so much harder to find that motivation because you're young because you don't yet know the consequences of not uh, doing these kind of actions or um, also because it doesn't matter to you so much yet because maybe you're just having a good time rather than thinking about the future. So can I can I ask you one you know, sort of final question from my end? Because mm. I have no dispute at all with anything you said. I think it's fantastic. However, they often say your generation and the generation that follows yours are these big sooks, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Where right. you couldn't you can't score the game and everybody gets the blue ribbon at right, the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, so yeah. I want to ask you a question. I, I'm not going to buy into that because I don't know it to be true. But if you were looking at kids' sport now, how important do you think the wins and the losses are? Look, it's an important, difficult question because you just you talked about the fact that learning to win and learning to lose are important aspects of the game. And I think I struggle to remotely accept this narrative that like our generation can't lose, has to win, all that kind of thing, because I've never personally felt that. My first three basketball seasons when I was, I don't know, 8 to 11 or something, I don't reckon we won a game for it. We were just there for messing around and having a good time, um, which was great fun. So I've never quite understood that idea myself. I think what is crucial to me is the fact that in my life, I think I have observed that winners keep winning. That when you are in a position to have the success associated with some kind of victory, it improves your self-esteem, it improves your confidence, it makes you more willing to go for something. And particularly in sport, that's really important because when you are confident, you're that much more likely to succeed at sport. And so I think the role that this uh, idea 
perhaps should play in society. And perhaps, you know, perhaps critics would say it doesn't play this role. But I think there is a place for this because I think that when you give children especially the opportunity to succeed, the opportunity to win, that then is an important building block in their ability to continue to do that. Because I see people who've been successful and then can continue to be successful contrast with people who've never had that opportunity. And even if they had that potential, the fact they didn't find the thing that they were good at meant they weren't able to grow into who they could have been. Look, I, I my final thought is not about sport, but it's around the psychology of teams in competing. Mm. I believe it's absolutely fundamental that kids learn to lose gracefully mm. and win badly, mm-hmm. you know, um, because you can win by breaking rules, cheating, stabbing yeah, the guy right. in the eye. There is, there is a... a a really important social responsibility to be able to deal with disappointment well mm. and to know that there is a good win and a bad win. I really like that. And I think that those people that would say it's detrimental to kids to play a sport and score it and lose aren't preparing kids for the idea that in real life you get rejected uh, you don't get jobs, you don't get girlfriends. There's things that you want that you don't get. Mm. By the same token, I think if you're good at something, there is no reason why that shouldn't be celebrated because we're all about let's not get self-deprecating and let's not this mm. and that. But if you're the greatest spin bowler in the in the world ever, as Shane Warne was, then there's a reason that should be celebrated. Nobody's actually saying that he was the greatest human on the world. They were saying that he's touched our lives for a reason. And that can be recognised. So I think the great fear I have about sport is that it's only a compliance activity moving forward. But I believe that even from a compliance perspective, start it, do it, score it, because those that will go on with it get the commitment from the compliance, which is you versus me that did the compliance, followed the rules, but never found a love for it. And at this point in my life, I wish I had. Mm. So... I think sport's really important, more so than, you know, more in what I say than what I do. But I think particularly in a country like ours where we definitely punch above our weight in terms of our sporting prowess, it's something to be celebrated and and explored and continued. And I like the idea that the the gender divide on certain sports is starting to to collapse. If girls want to play, you know, a, a contact sport, then nobody's got a right to say that that's a boys' sport. I think that's progression from a societal perspective as well. I think it's also important that sport is losing some of its centrality, however, in that yep. boys might be able to not play a contact sport. And Absolutely. I think that that's the, that's the positive of a, le- of a lesser focus on sport that I see. And so the walking this line of how do we keep it important but not central is what I see as being the next social challenge, yeah. That is very well said, mate. I, I must admit I, I always learn a lot from you. And this has been a really good brief little interlude into something I know very little about, but I'm glad you raised it because Mm. I think you're a really good example of the balance between being smart, being sharp, being active, and uh, there's a lot to learn from that. Mm. So thank you for this week, Matt, as always. Thank you, listeners. We know that uh, we do have a loyal band of listeners out there, and I want to say hi to uh, listener Ashlyn, who told me that she was... Looking forward to coming on board to do our second half of our horror discussion. Oh, excellent. 
Ashlyn and a few others have reached out to say they can tell us why scary movies are important. So look forward to that episode. Thank you for this week, Matt. Thanks very much. And as always, thanks for listening to If I Only Knew and we'll catch you again soon. See you, everyone. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.